Warning, this program typically features respectful, nuanced, and well-informed commentary, strong language, obscure pop culture references, and spurious allegations. Fisher is someplace in this dark room with a microphone in his hand, but Anthony Fisher, who is yeah, some, somewhere inside her. Uh, I'm somewhere inside her. It was always my dream to perform at the Comedy Cellar from a booth <laughs> nowhere near the stage. Cheers. 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 Since you're already applauding, greetings and welcome back to another exciting installment of the Fifth Column Podcast. This is your almost weekly rhetorical assault on the new cycle of the people that make it and occasionally ourselves. I am Camille Foster. As I said earlier, because this is my second run at it, I do various things at a place called Free Think Media. Um, those various things will remain vague and undefined because I want them to. Um, I am delighted to be here with all of you, a very motley rabble of people whose faces I generally can't make out, but some of whom I know, like my wife, who's splendid. And actually, she's not... Oh, no, she's standing by the door now. Hi, baby. Oh, yeah. Hopefully someone is watching our daughter close to um, the escape hatch. So in addition to the Motley Rabble and my wife, there's other friends and family in the room, um, some, some wonderful people who listen to this podcast, but also... Matt Welch, editor-at-large of Reason Magazine, is here on the stage. He's a wonderful. Michael Moynihan, who's a national correspondent for Vice News Tonight, and wonderful. Two extraordinary gentlemen. Uh, our very good friend Anthony Fisher is in the room, not on the God microphone, the gamer headset thing, but he's here. Which is anybody can do really. Which is dope as hell. And I wasn't exactly sure how we were going to start this. I thought for a moment that it might make sense to sort of do a thing where we bring the guests in. This is a very tight, intimate space. So I'm just going to introduce our guests. We're going to bullshit for a couple of minutes, and then we are going to get into the meat of the program. I, I don't really know what it will be, though. Um, but I'm delighted to have two remarkable gentlemen with me today, one of whom I know who's been a guest on this podcast before the other. I just met tonight for the first time, but you probably know who some of these people are. Uh, Jody Abigan, who's uh, at 538 and hosts the Politics Podcast there, also at ESPN and does the 30 for 30 podcast. He is podcasting podcasting royalty, both of these gentlemen. Uh, but Jody is here. Thank you so much for joining us, Jody. A second time. Um, and here with us for the very first time is Mike Barbaro, whose voice will be familiar to you because you are almost certainly one of the 22 billion people who have downloaded the Daily Podcast, the most downloaded podcast of the last year or something like that. Is that true? It's an incredible accomplishment. Um, but Mike is here with us, and I'm yeah. delighted to have you. Awesome. Awesome. Big time, guys. Big time. Camille, can I, can I just say something about Please. doing a show in this venue, which I've, I've done a podcast here once before, but I love looking out at the audience and thinking that there's one like Swedish couple on vacation who just said, oh, I'm going to book something at the Comedy Cellar. Like maybe, you know, Colin Quinn will show up or Ray Romano will do a drop in. And this is what you get. No. And Colin so, Quinn, so to be clear, get. is working right next door right yeah. now. So yeah. half the people leave. Don't tell them. And there's a Swede to apologize to. So it's like $15 cheaper. $15 cheaper to see Colin Quinn tonight. Uh, I know, isn't that amazing? Screw you guys. Well, like, you guys got fucking ripped off. It's like, what are you doing? What are you doing here? But I, I did, I was surprised to get a couple of messages from folks who were saying that they were flying in from out of town, and it is entirely possible that I was being trolled. But I did speak to one remarkably nice couple here in the front row, and I'm blinking because the lights are so damn bright. Um, but you guys came up on a train from D.C. I'm wondering if anyone came from very far away. If you could perhaps shout said place out. Denver. Denver? Denver. Anyone wow. further than Denver? Stockholm, Sweden. 
in Stockholm, Sweden. But did you come here for this serious? event? Did you fly here for this event? Yes. That is, I don't know if I believe it. I don't know if I believe it, but I want to believe it. Hey, yeah. So, did anyone come if further? Turn the CDs really sweet. Stockholm. Swedish? Yeah. Okay. Oh, it is. Oh, it is. Okay. Okay. It's true. It's credible. Yeah. It's credible. Well, I don't believe him. So, um, any, anyone from like Seattle or California, just uh, in the continental U.S., I'm wondering if anyone there came. Was a vote there. Portland. Out there, right? Portland. Portland. Yes. Or as Rockstar. Camille calls it, Seattle. You, you came here just for a, It's the same thing. It is exactly the same thing. Portlandia, whatever. It's the same. But Camille, we should Am I wrong? Some, is it the same? Seattle and Portland kind of thing? Don't, don't trust her. She's you not should, on stage. You, you should also point out that that is a one-time Fifth Home guest. Yes, Nancy that's Rumble. true. But I couldn't tell was, because it's yeah, dark. it was the <laughs> She didn't come here for us. Go ahead. That's good. Well, I'm delighted to have you all here. I, I said that I would buy drinks for the person who came the furthest. I'm going to buy drinks for this delightful person from Sweden. I, I don't know how we will accomplish this. <laughs> as long as we see a passport, said, yeah. Yeah. whether or not it happens yeah. is another thing entirely. Um, but it, it really is like wonderful to be able to do this with all of you guys, and I'm delighted that you were able to come out. One hand, Welch, Fisher, anything interesting that you guys have to say? Because usually this is the part where we're just kind of going back. I just wanted to more. say for those who listened to last week's podcast, I'm not dying. So like, uh, <laughs> apparently, uh, Moynihan was telling me that people actually listen all the way to the end, which yeah. is just something I didn't really realize before. Hold that um, mic close to your mouth. Yeah, sure. Thank How's you. That? Um, <clears throat> Anthony was nice enough to say, "Hey, you know, you something keep, or other. keep it close to." Yeah, you. whatever. <laughs> Jesus Christ, micromanaging I'm, I'm from sorry. the stage here. Um, no, I'm fine. So it's all good. Thank you for your nice wishes. Uh, everything's everything's what, cool. What, Baby what, aspirin what is, is what Michael happened. doesn't listen to the end. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> or the beginning. I had a small little thing in my in my uh, an artery in my brain, and it works out fine. I didn't have a stroke, so we're good. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yes. Well, thank you all for clapping for Matt. Quite an accomplishment. Stroke. <laughs> Quite yeah, an accomplishment. Well, you know. An evident stroke. Yeah. <laughs> the only two medical categories are stroke and no stroke. So you're, on the, you're on the right side of that one. <laughs> Modern medicine. Great. Um, anything else? I don't know. I was going to talk about this the other day. I um, I got trolled on Twitter. The oh, Halsey. Yeah, Halsey. Does anyone know who that person is? Halsey? I didn't know. Who the so. fuck is Halsey? I don't know. She's got 10 million Twitter followers. Yeah. Right? Musician. Yeah, she's, she's a musician. I find this out later. And she's got a lot of like very angry 15-year-olds who follow her. She has and an I, aversion to pants, yeah, according I, to that well, photo that pic, I saw yeah, her in. Yeah, the picture I posted a picture with no pants on. Well, I mean, it's her picture. I didn't have one of her pants on. And I made fun of a, a, a T-shirt that she was wearing and it was made, sort of making fun of the grammar of the t-shirt she had a t-shirt that said um, men uh, what was it women women invented punk rock not England right and so I read that as well I don't think women invented England or punk rock <laughs> so you know you make a joke about this right you fucking you know somebody out here sent it to me and then another person out here who's sitting next to that person, uh, I, I see, yeah, that's a weird situation. Uh, I said to her, I was like, should I, should I tweet this? And she said to me, um, with the words of wisdom, she's also Swedish, by the way. And she said this, this words of wisdom, she said, if you have to ask that question, you shouldn't. I said, you know what, fuck you. I'm gonna post it. <laughs> I don't even know what it was. 
was. I was an innocuous post. Sorry to sound like Jeff Green always. Um, but I did. So I, I posted it, and it's still going. Ten million followers. But did she respond, or was it yes, just so her? Yes, she crew? responded, and I didn't add her because I'm a pussy. <laughs> so I like, kicked the hornet's nest. But somehow she found it. <laughs> she oh, someone snitched. So someone snitched. Yeah, it was yeah. crazy. Yeah. So I don't like stop snitching, Halsey. <laughs> and so I don't know how it happened, but it just it was it was a lot, and, and it was. I started responding to them, and I'm like, what the fuck am I doing? So how, <laughs> my, Michael, how would the New York Times uh, copy desk clean the grammar in that T-shirt? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is there a semicolon that can fix this? Yeah. Can you recite? Can you just give me the language again? Girl, uh, yeah. Women invented punk rock, not England. And no commas. Yeah, with no commas, no. It was, it was extra for the comments. We would toss in some honorifics. Yeah. <laughs> yeah sure. Wait, I thought you guys de-honorific. Or was that the, was no, that the uh, Wall Street Journal? Never. Oh, okay. <laughs> we would throw in a few clauses. Yeah. And then it would make sense. And I would not have had this nightmarish past week. <laughs> it was like, kind of horrifying. Anyway. So wait, this is still going on? Uh, I guess there's a few here and there's a few here and there. Yeah. Of the stragglers who haven't been paying attention. And I mean, they got to go down his Twitter thing. So you stand, you stand yeah. accused of mansplaining punk rock or grammar. Oh, the best, the, the best one was uh, there was a former, a former colleague of mine, oh, <laughs> which I was advised not to respond to her. But a former colleague of mine who no, I didn't so just know, mention, mention him now. Yeah, yeah I, know. I, was like, I was like, I shouldn't respond because it like it kicked yeah. the horns as again. Yeah. and now I'm doing it in front of a bunch of people. I mean, the Halsey, uh, the Halsey trolls yeah, are still exactly. paying this is funny. Yeah. Who in the in one clause, not even a full sentence, one clause. <laughs> Uh, was I, I was a, a sexist, racist, and ageist. And he oh. said, here's another old white man. <laughs> and I was like, I was like first of facts. all, totally true. Second of all, fuck you. <laughs> Make your point beyond the fact that I'm an old, desiccated white man. Fine. Anyway, yeah. that's my... That's my event. Of the well, you guys are pretty unpopular yeah. right now. If yeah. you were, yeah. yeah. no, you guys. Um, I don't like you people. I don't like. <laughs> I mean, you asked if we, we stopped using honorifics. We have not. But yes. there, there was an internal announcement today inside the New York Times. It was very big news. We are in the future only to call <laughs> Stephanie Clifford Stormy Daniels. Really? 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 Yeah. yeah, it was a kind wow. of a style guide announcement that she has published. When a person publicly declares their preference for a huh. name, oh, wow. we generally <laughs> accommodate. So Harry yeah. Reams? Yeah. <laughs> Stormy Daniels I, is... the only person who knows Harry Reams in this audience? Yeah. I mean, we prefer, I mean, we preferred, we, default, we defaulted to a non pornographic name for what I think were obvious reasons but if but if a person prefers their stage name mm -hmm. yeah I think that's actually called slut shaming though because yeah. she's not ashamed of what she does she's yeah. still out there working I think that's yeah. right still yeah. and will the podcast do the same thing or will you do a little explanatory I, the, the, the real question for us on the daily would be would we acknowledge the change and I don't I don't have an answer to that. <laughs> no we've done it on this podcast and it's about the same listenership and so you're good <laughs> yeah, sorry quickly how many because I saw your tweet today Michael's tweet today tweet shaming this podcast because <laughs> it was the most downloaded podcast of 2018 on itunes that's right yes yes right, big, oh, name, big name. Uh, by the way if you don't if you don't um listen to it it's, it's very very good um and it's good that we're doing here because we will talk about the louis ck uh one that you did i hope um but how many downloads is that i want to know if we can compare it um, a lot you can make it that's a lot it's i mean I, I, over it's hundreds of millions of, of downloads a year. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. yeah. Like a loser. But yeah. we're the New York Times. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 We have a, we have a, 
it's not, not fair to compare. But it, we have it a big also platform. doesn't mean that I'm also not a loser, but continue. <laughs> yeah, we don't need to talk there about the numbers any longer. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I did want to say, you know, Twitter is like this weird, this weird ecosystem that is particularly valuable to people like us who are sort of in the media business and kind of have conversations with one another. I think it's the way that we keep track of everything that's happening in the world and because we get uh, crappy reception down here, I can't actually track what's happening right now. So I don't know, for example, if uh, Mueller finally released like the Flynn stuff, it maybe is floating around. But I did discover two things um, that I think are interesting. And actually, I didn't discover them recently, but because we're talking about Twitter, I'm mentioning them. One, um, Chance the Rapper follows me on Twitter and has for some time. And I never talk about this publicly, but it is a great accomplishment. <laughs> I, wanna, I wanna put it on wax because it is entirely possible that once he realizes who I am, he will unfollow yeah. me. <laughs> but it's also possible that he agrees with me on virtually everything. So I just wanna put that out there. Um, so if Chance no, follows me, that's probably- No, it is not possible. Also, I'm blocked by Soledad O'Brien for oh, reasons really? that I do not wow. understand. I don't like it. Um, I, I did wish I'd gotten an invitation to go on Black in America to perhaps be the only non-black person interviewed <laughs> yeah. for that. Um, but I suppose I'll never get a chance to do that, uh, which is unfortunate for me. Can I ask um, a question though? Why do people block you when you're never tweeted about them? I'm blocked. I just I'm, I was I'm blocked sure by I've tweeted Gay. something at. Some I don't know what. I've never said anything about Roxanne Gay. Yeah. And I mean, if I did, it probably wouldn't be that. Decrepit old white band. The yeah. one that bothers me is yeah. I'm blocked by Ryan Adams. Oh shit! <laughs> wow. Oh, really? I can see that. Are you like, yeah, I deserved it? Because <laughs> that's yeah. fine. That's a totally defensible thing. Wow. In 2003, yeah, he used to be scared of Ryan Adams stalkers. I think that I might have yeah. at some point uh, said something about Summer of 69. And there was a long period of time. Yeah. He doesn't like Back that. Back in the Summer he, of 69. Yeah, make, I'll, yeah. I'll do the bridge right here, right yeah. now. Um, That's uh, it. No, uh, but we'll he now no does the song on stage. Like he's, he's, he's gained Except a, a sense a of humor. Yeah. But I think he blocked me before the sense of humor. Huh. But I didn't really, I'm I never, sorry. I never tagged him. Yeah. And the other thing that I'm very proud of is that Merle Haggard. Uh, follows me, which is great, except he's dead. He's dead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, usually we do a lot of uh, news of the moment stuff on the podcast, and I was inclined to not so much do that today. Um, today, it actually makes a hell of a lot of sense because I know there's going to be like Mueller revelations later in the week, and this whole conversation would be very stale if we tried to talk about some of those things speculatively. Um, but what I do think is quite interesting, and it's useful that we're in the Comedy Cellar because there's been some controversies related to this um, is for perhaps talk about um, a few things related to the fact that you know we are quickly approaching the end of the second year of the Trump administration or Trump regime, as I prefer to call it. Um, not particularly disparaging Donald Trump, but disparaging all administrations. They're all regimes. It's fine. Um, but the, we're quickly approaching the end of the second year of the Trump regime. Um, and at the end of the second year of the Trump regime, I'm interested in your perspectives, esteemed guests and gentlemen whom I know pretty well, um, who are also kind of esteemed in your own way. Um, what the consequence of these past two years has been for journalism, perhaps broadly speaking, you know, are things improving or are they getting worse? So if there's any defining characteristic of the past two years in terms of the nature of media coverage, it's that there's been a great deal of scandal and outrage. And we've sort of gone through these, I don't even know if it's, it's cycles of outrage. It's almost been perpetual outrage with particular punctuations at different points. So I'm wondering how much of that is new, because a lot 
lot of it feels new. It seems to be manifesting itself in different ways. I think there has been an, an impact on the media that doesn't always seem great. So I'm interested in mining some of that um, a little bit. And I, I, I've got a barrage of questions that I could ask related to it to get it started. But you're all nodding your heads affirmatively. So I suspect someone yeah. perhaps has something to say. Michael, uh, what about you? I mean, you, I, you're, you, you've covered campaigns. I'm a new person. Yeah, yeah, no. no tell us, Barbara. That means you're interesting. Um, people download your stuff. So what, yeah, in that, they don't do that for what's us. What's feel like? Yeah, what's that feel like? <laughs> I'm literally just going to do, I'm just going to ask you questions about what it's like to be so popular. Um, it's really, it's really, you should try it. It's, it's I, really, you should try I've been trying so hard, and it just fucking failed. Uh, Wait, I feel like when we're talking about celebrity followers, the best thing that ever happened to me recently yeah. was that I discovered that Mandy Moore, hashtag this oh. is us, wow. Lo loves, wow. loves the daily, listens to the daily, and then I, I followed her on Instagram, she followed me back, and now Whoa. the occasional personal message. Whoa, she's sliding wow. in the DMs. Slide you heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen. He's getting it. Barbara's DMs. He's getting it. Would there be any better media story than if Mandy Moore catfished you? <laughs> I don't think there would. At least not for several days. Um, not until the, the Donald Trump. Because it's a constant scandal. That's what I was saying before. So that, I mean, thank you for deranging I, the No, I was going to ask you guys. You yeah. guys are the professionals. You guys are the ones that uh, writing about politics. Yeah, you don't get paid for this at all. Uh, no, not yeah. at all. Uh -huh. No, I mean, is there, look, there is a sense, I guess, you know, sometime between November 15th of 2016, um, that there was, that everything was going to change. You know, Washington Post all of a sudden said, democracy dies in darkness, etc. Is democracy dying in darkness? I mean, what is the state of the media right now, considering there's been a lot of pearl clutching, a lot of fainting couches about what um, the Trump administration would do to, to journalism in America? I want to take you back to the campaign because I was a, I covered the Trump campaign for the New York Times very closely and I wrote a lot of big investigative stories about him. But the story in some ways I was most proud of was a single piece we wrote on the day when Donald Trump, candidate Donald Trump, held a news conference to announce that he was going to finally put to rest the mystery of whether or not Barack Obama was in fact born in the United States. And I remember waking up that morning and it was, you know, it was the 20th, 30th time in the campaign where we were wrestling with how do we, how do we cover this? And do the normal conventions of political journalism make any sense anymore? And we made a decision that that was the day that the New York Times, based on the accumulation of, of deceptions that the president had articulated around that, that we were going to use the word lie the L word in the New York Times, which we'd never really used before because, as you may have all heard and been bored by the debate, you know, to call someone, to call something a lie means you have to understand that there was a malevolent intent to mislead rather than the sort of slip of a tongue. And in this case, because he had repeatedly said over and over again that the president wasn't born in the U.S. despite evidence that he had been, we could call it a lie. And so that was the first time I felt that journalism was going to was going to begin to really change because of the press. I mean, we, on the front page, we called it a lie. In the store, we called it a lie. That might seem small to you, but for us, that was a really big deal. And on and on it went. I mean, the minute he was elected president, the Times more or less doubled the number of people who cover the president and the White House because they knew it would take that many people to keep up with the tweets and the tweet cycles and the announcements and the news. And journalism seemed to kind of split in that moment beyond the times too. I mean, were you going to be agitated by this and and, and tempted to, to kind of become a, a participant in the response to the president? I would call it the kind of 
want to be careful here, but Jim Acosta is kind of one version of this, you know, to sort of the White House reporter who begins to interrogate the president and gets into fights with him, or are you going to sort of engage in traditional journalism? And and I think one of the temptations is, is a little shade being thrown. There? No, 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 because I think I think the, I think yeah, the hardest thing is the hardest thing is <laughs> Sorry, that was shade, the hardest thing is being as a, being at a news conference and, and and feeling like maybe you're not being told the truth and like is it, what is your obligation in that moment? Is your job to tell Sarah Sanders, uh, you know? Madam Press Secretary, I believe that you are you are being dishonest here. I mean, or is your job just to ask the next question? And I think this presidency has forced all of us in within the boundaries of the institutions we work, whether that's CNN or Fox News or the New York Times and the Daily, to reevaluate our rituals, which clearly don't hold up to this presidency all the time, and ask ourselves like, what are we going to do differently, and do they honor? Does, do those decisions honor our traditions? Yeah, and for us, it meant reaching out to people we weren't talking to enough. For other people, it meant like getting into fights with the president at a news conference. I was wondering about this. I mean, thinking back to 2003 and uh, George W. Bush administration and the criticism of the media which I think is kind of unfair actually uh, that it was only I think McClatchy was given the, the kind of uh, pat in the back for covering the run-up to the Iraq war in an honest way in a sort of you know tough way but I, I wonder what would have happened if the coverage was the same as it is now I mean you see this very very often in Chiron's lower thirds everywhere on cable news is the phrase without evidence uh -huh. This is all the time. Yeah. Donald Trump says, says kind of without evidence that X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Will that persist after Donald Trump goes away? Because there are going to be uh, presidents that maybe some people in the media like more, but they still lie because they're presidents. Mm -hmm. But they will not lie in the way that Donald Trump lies. But does it matter? Does it matter if it's aesthetically different, if it is fundamentally untrue things that are being said I, on a regular basis? I do. I do think that it does. I mean, I, I, I think it does too, but I mean, probably I think in a there way. is a coarsening of the way that we talk about serious issues that Donald Trump is either a symptom of or a disease are often the cases, you know, both wrapped mm -hmm. up and it just it creates the cycle. But I do think that there is just this impurity with which the president is willing to say untrue things and know that he will not be held accountable, but even more so that the being held accountable works in his favor. And I mean, it gets into a lot of the other things we're talking about with this. How does it work in his favor? Just attention is attention. And I don't think this is a new thing. I mean, this is something that Donald Trump, Donald Trump played the New York media for many, many years before he ever went national on this exact thing, that you say something outrageous and then when people push back, that still keeps you in the spotlight and you can just deny, 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 and it ultimately works if you, you know, if there's no bar, then you're good. I think the way that it obviously works to his favor is that uh, you could argue that the single thing that's holding together the Republican coalition at this point, besides Trumpism, which is a strong force on its own, uh, but even before he became president, it's anti-media animus. Mm -hmm. It is, these people are sneering at us, laughing at us, uh, representing us incorrectly. Uh, I, I was uh, 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 watching uh, just, I think yesterday, the Twitter feed of, uh, I believe, Jeremy Senderowitz, and I'm sorry for mispronouncing his name, even though he's not in the room, I don't think. Jeremy, what? Um, uh, <laughs> but he was talking about all the ways in which the media kind of turned on George H.W. Bush, who recently passed, uh, in 1992. Um, and, you know, he's out of touch with, with elites. He doesn't know how to use the supermarket scanner, which is a bullshit story. Um, a bunch of different things uh, there. And so there has been a, a feeling, like, 
you could argue, certainly since Richard Nixon, but it's a through line that has intensified, and Donald Trump was smart enough to, to capitalize on more than anybody else, I think, uh, that those people are against us. And so how, and this is my ultimate question to, to either one of you, is like, what do you do with that knowledge, right? Which, which knowledge? The knowledge of, I think it's knowledge. I think it's unconscious knowledge, to quote Perry Farrell. But uh, what do you do with the knowledge that every time that the media says you're a liar, he's like, yes. Yes. Is, yeah. like, is he doing that? Oh, my God. Yeah. yeah I sure. mean, who do you think ultimately, I know this is a rough way to put it, but like is winning between Jim Acosta and the White House? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think they're both they're both winning on their respective sides. I mean, has Jim Acosta's, has Jim Acosta's like exactly level of respect, has, losing, has right? Jim Acosta's level of respect um, ever been higher? Has CNN's ratings ever been higher as a consequence no, of the conflict that they're having? No, CNN's suffering. I mean, Fox is winning, MSNBC um, is winning, well, I CNN I suppose that's true. But in terms suffering. of respect, in terms of the like relative performance of the cable news networks, and it's hard to talk about absolute numbers in terms of viewership because the uni the media landscape is changing. People simply aren't watching cable television in the ways that they were before. But as so far as I can tell, there seems to be a great deal of attention focused on major on cable news outlets these days. They are a part of the news story in many cases works in their favor. And there's something else that I'd say as well, which perhaps goes back to an, an earlier point that was made. When I see the way that the Trump administration, um, or that Donald Trump in particular, is treated by the media, the thing that always concerns me is the degree to which there is a particular kind of outrage for Donald Trump, which, as you mentioned, Moynihan, may or may not survive this presidency. Once we get beyond Trump, is there a sigh of relief? And then everything goes back to normal. And we're back to really respectability politique, where we've been fighting, for example, uh, a war in Yemen, at least supplying weaponry, et cetera, for an extraordinary humanitarian crisis, and troops which on the, ground. the Congress has only woken up to seemingly because of the Trump regime. Um, that seems like something, an interesting, unexpected, unintentional benefit. but. It also, I think, underscores the reality that the lack of scrutiny that other administrations receive because they're respectable, despite the fact that they are lying because they are able to lie persuasively, because they're able to lie with euphemism, it's something that seems pretty disconcerting to me. I, I worry a lot about the sigh of relief afterwards. I want to kick this to our guests, but I want to make a brief point about uh, a line of mostly conservative or Republicanoid um, uh, criticism that overlaps with what you're saying, but it's not the essence Republic, of what you're saying. Just call me Republicanoid. Oid? No, I'm Republic, Republican. Republicans? Yes, exactly. Um, is that uh, there is a bunch of people, some of whom I know, some of whom I'm friendly with, mm. during the Obama administration would say things like, hey, look, all you fact checkers out there, you are not adequately fact checking um, Barack Obama, and you, there's a, an obvious bias in, in the way that you're looking at things. You are, for example, uh, declaring that the lie of the year in 2013 was not by the President of the United States about um, his signature health care program, but it was by Sarah Palin, who didn't have a lot of significance in 2013, if you recall uh, your math uh, uh, correctly. So these same people who were making these points, which are, I think, good and arguable points to make, many of them in 2017 and 2018, when they see that those same fact-checking 
organizations fact-checking the sitting president, mm-hmm. they say, well, you didn't fact-check Barack Obama enough. Yeah. That is an empty fucking dead end, bro. That's right. I mean, that's a bad place to be. You should be fact-checking presidents. We shouldn't be uh, – I think the correct thing, and you're right, and both of you are right, to say that, like, we should be worried about the next president. But why not have – and why not even celebrate a little bit – that we are actually, for the first time in a long time, holding a president to account I'm, here I'm now. Yeah. Let's let's make that the standard, and mm-hmm. le- and hopefully it's the standard going forward. Even though we all know that it won't be. And I'll <laughs> I mean, I I'll just add that I think the question that you two are, are are getting at here, I think is I think about it a lot, which is what will happen after Trump is no longer president? Will there be a recalibration with the press will there be an overcorrection in the other direction because it's been so easy to get woke in this era in this and and sort of take stands for the press and then will there just be will it swing all the way back or will it kind of reach a i would agree with you a healthier ground i i have no idea the only other thing i'll point out very briefly is that all of us on stage i don't think it's a coincidence are not like beat reporters we're not at the tip of the spear and i think that that's for a reason, and I certainly love the sort of half step back. I would say even the Daily, you correct me if I'm wrong, obviously it's a daily show, but I think what's strong about you, your show is that you are not breaking news, you are taking a breath. And um, I just want to point out that like, I think the healthiest stance is in this fevered moment is often to shut up and take a step back. And that's, that's a great what point. I do right now. I think that's added to that is that there's and we think of the media, and I think we're being really careless when we talk about that. We oftentimes call the media what we saw in our Twitter feed, which is – that's not. That's a different world. Or what we watch on cable news, which is something that at a peak, what, 4 million, 5 million people watch a day? That's It's going to be less than that probably, yeah. let alone twice for, for five crying out loud. Um, so that's not really where things are being done. There's a lot of great journalism. Sorry, sure. Um, there's a lot of great journalism being done every single day, including at the New York Times last week. The Miami Herald did an incredible Jeffrey piece Epstein, about that. Jeffrey, yeah. Jeffrey Epstein. Um, yeah. They're uh, they're they're every single day in this country, or at least you know every single week. There are remarkable pieces of journalism, and including re- journalism about the White House. I think this White House is better covered um, just because they're so leaky and crazy. It just fucked in the head uh, on some level uh, than than many White Houses that we've seen in a long time, and that's different than what we actually mean when we say the media. We're not talking about those stories. Yeah, the the, the thing is, though, is that you know we're talking this brutality that the media is you know forcing upon the White House, fact checking everything. Will that survive if Trump goes away, you know, in 2020 or 2024? The interesting thing about that was you the said Congress- if he goes away in 2020. Yeah, if he goes away, <laughs> you might not leave. I, I never know. I mean, come on, fascism is descending. It's we finally no, come to America. is a living document. We had Tim Snyder on the show who said, you know, we're jackbooting our way to 1934. A little bit of sarcasm but, there, folks. It, no, Tim is fantastic. But he's wrong about this. <laughs> but that is actually the point, though. I mean, people like Tim Snyder and all the kind of heavy breathing that we've heard about this. We are having conversation right now is this kind of beating up of the White House and the press being slightly more activist, which by the way I like, I'm not opposed to this at all will it go away, whereas in November 2016 I had a lot of conversations with people that democracy and the press was over you know, you're going to push, you have guys from fucking, what is that, uh 
something pundit. The fuck is that website? Gateway pundit. It's my favorite news source. Uh, they're getting press passes, and they're in. I mean, good God! I think that guy's probably in prison now or something. I don't know. No, he's still in the White House. Is he really? Oh my God, Yana! We went to his house, didn't we? That's right. He might be. In, we don't get yeah, cell reception down here, yeah, so he okay. might be in prison. It might have happened today. But that, like, little silly things like that. In every friends of mine in, in media, they were sort of their knees were knocking, and it was all over. Yeah. And I think the opposite happened. I, yeah. think the, I think it's true that you know you see it in numbers. It's hard to quantify these things. We were talking about this before, but you know, in 1992, the subscriptions to National Review and the American Spectator were through the roof. The same thing in 2000, 2001 for the Nation magazine. The sure. opposition always does quite well. And right now we're seeing the same thing, but we can't measure it in the same ways, right? right. So there's a million websites, a million this, that, and the other. Um, and I, you know, nobody gives a shit about this stuff but us. Which is kind of an interesting thing. No one's talking about Eve Pizer and Barry Weiss. Right? Outside of this Except for this room. room. By the way, one is a former editor of mine and a friend. The other one is a colleague of mine. So I'll say nothing bad about either of them. And, and, and it was published by Michael's newspaper. But we, I have these, I see these conversations. I'm like, who fucking cares? Yeah. You know? It's a, it's a little inward looking. Well, let's, let's take this a level deeper and perhaps... It's similar. They're similar, and no one else cares. But it does feel like it has some national resonance here. I mean, a lot of the outrages are outrages about things that people say, or perhaps the things that people haven't said, and, and in some instances, our interpretation of the things that people say and things people tweet. Um, I don't know to what degree that is new, but that does seem to be a pretty prominent feature of the contemporary media landscape. And I'm, I'm thinking, of course, of Mark Lamont Hill, who only last week um, was bounced by CNN after he gave a speech at the UN in which he used a phrase that is familiar to some um, and is sometimes uh, uh, attributed to or sometimes used by people who are talking about the complete and utter destruction of Israel. But yeah. I think Mark did a pretty good job of qualifying his specific yeah. meaning. And the phrase, by the way, is from the river to the sea, right. which is you know used sometimes by people like Hamas to suggest that Israel should be wiped off the but, map. But not exclusively by those not exclusively people. by, by, yeah. by Hamas. And, uh, and I think yeah. Mark was pretty clear about what he meant. From yeah. Mark's standpoint, um, he wanted... He wants to see in the place of Israel and Palestine a secular nation state in which everyone has equal rights. The language in which he described this and in which he described the current circumstance was pretty stark, was yeah. very sharp. Um, and I won't weigh in on whether or not I think it's fair, because um, that's a totally different conversation that Anthony Fisher should probably be leading and not me. Um, Another time. Yeah. The, not because he's he's Jewish, although he kind of is. He's not Jewish. Sort of. <laughs> Everyone in, a, uh, in my family yeah, is. The ginger so guy in the corner. Exactly yeah. Right. Um, <laughs> Good but, God. But it I, looks I, like I, he's part of the Easter <laughs> Rebellion. What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> 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 I can't see him. Um, and it's dark in here. Um, but but I wonder what you gentlemen think about, about that in general. And obviously it's not only that. I mean, the Roseanne Barr controversy from earlier in the year where she was bounced from network television in a very similar way. And the thing that was the most strange to me about Mark Lamont Hill, and Mark is someone who I've had interactions with in the media. Yeah. I don't personally like him. We're not friendly. Um, in fact, he was disparaging to me at one time, and I kind of just wish the pox on his house, and maybe this is the chickens coming home to roost. Um, but I'm not pleased. Wow. I'm not That's pleased. 
reference that this has become. <laughs> I'm not pleased God that this damn has happened. America. <laughs> uh, I'm not pleased that this has happened to him. I think it's bad and objectionable. And the thing that is so strange to me is CNN is a place, and cable news in general is a place where people are having difficult conversations and are discussing issues. And are the they? One thing, no, wait, what? <laughs> it's supposed to be, ostensibly. Yeah, exactly. Ostensibly. And one would expect that Mark has an opportunity to refine his comments, and that's okay. But in the current environment, that doesn't happen, it seems. Oh. But is, is it new? Is something weird and different happening? Yes, I think it's new, and I think what you, I just want to point out that I do think a lot of this is related to the kind of poison pill that is at the heart of cable news, which is, it is somehow a place with endless amount of time for takes, yet there is a very clear parameter in which you can offer those. And I think it's that paradox that makes it like a really kind of toxic environment. Um, and so I think Marcus is just an example of that, that somehow he broke that rule of being able, you know, he's supposed to be provocative, that's why they have him hired. Yet, somehow this is outside of that, and he gets slapped down for it. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's important to point out, and I don't think anyone has, really. I haven't seen this. But uh, Nico Hines, I know, is here tonight. He works for FIRE. And he can he can tell you that Nico this, Perino. Nico Hines I'm sorry, is a Daily I, Beast guy. I, I'm sorry, sorry, yeah. <laughs> oh, he, by the way, just for the record, he got thrown out of uh, Polite Society for a story that he wrote, too, a thing that he said. Um, but Nico, <laughs> sorry, Nico. Uh, we'll <laughs> fix that in post. Okay. Um, <laughs> what FIRE has done and shown, and people like Glenn Greenwald are always pointing this out, is that this is not the exclusive domain of the left. That's right? exactly being, right. being thuggish on campus. I mean, the right does it quite a bit too. Not as much, I think, these days. But this is also true of these speech issues, because keep in mind that, this, that the people that are swarming and attacking Mark Lamont Hill and trying to get his job, which they successfully did, are not people on the left. And that's an important distinction, because I think a lot of people on the right always think that this is something that is specific to the left. Yeah. You know, and that's that's obviously not the case. I don't think Mark knew what he was saying, to be honest. And I'm, I'm being very charitable in some ways and also being disparaging at the same time. That I don't think he actually he knew the phrase. It's a phrase that you hear often, right? Yeah. You know, well, he's, kind not, of he's not fucking from the river media. to the sea. It's yeah, like, no, I know. I mean it's like from That's what you would expect from someone who describes himself as a hip hop intellectual. That's <laughs> It's actually, seriously, that like she's been fucking fired for that. It's actually like That's a, what I say. a weatherman from Los Angeles, from the mountains to the sea, from the desert. It's, it's like I don't know if he knew what he was saying, really. But I mean, he uh, was given a chance to, to, to you know, do the the fucking you know Rubichev and Darkness at Noon thing, where you get down on your knees and you say, "Good God, I'm sorry, I misspoke, I misspoke." And he did that. He did it quite well, actually. And I think Mark is wrong about ninety percent of the things that he writes about and talks about. He's the only person alive, including members of his family, who think <laughs> Mumia is still innocent, but it's a, certain, it's a certain age for some of you, I remember Mumia. And I think Andy, you know Mark. <laughs> Andy, Andy, TV's Andy Levy is a friend of Mark. So many great friends. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I, mess, I think I met him with you. He's a lovely guy, and um, but I hate this instinct right now, which is everywhere, to run people out of town in, you know, without them having a chance to even respond or atone. We have to wait a certain period of time. So Michael did a fantastic piece. If you haven't uh, listened to it, please do, uh, on The Daily, about the comedy seller with Gnome, who owns the comedy seller, about Louis C.K. And is, is Louis C.K., should he come back? Is it the time to come back? And people are saying yes. Um, and I think that the, the, the important part of that piece, and I'd like to ask Michael about this, was this idea of forgiveness. He said, well, he's, he hasn't been in the wilderness long enough. 
But how fucking long does he have to be in the wilderness? What does he have to do to atone for his sins and do his job again? And you had a really interesting conversation with Noam, which I thought was a very challenging one, too, because I I think the end of the podcast was interesting. You called him back, um, and he was yelling at his kids. Which is great. What was this? Well, Noam was was also yelling at me. I mean, it was very very complicated. So so I interviewed the owner of this club, this August Comedy Club, and uh, about his decision to allow... Louis C.K. back on stage. What was complicated was that the first night Louis C.K. walked back in this club, it turns out no one wasn't really all that involved at all. He was asleep at home and got a text that he only saw the next morning. But we wanted to have a conversation about what what are the roles of gatekeepers who, whether they mean to or not, play the role of kind of drawing those who have been cast out of our society kind of back in. What was, I think, most poignant about the conversation, that didn't taste good? <laughs> we'll, we'll have to talk about it. You're fine. No, it's, I Sorry. like this bit. Little, little spill. So, what was what was I guess most what was most poignant about the interview, which was very complicated and probably one of the more d- d- kind of difficult and unpredictable interviews we've ever done, was that what stuck with me was what what Noam, the the, the owner of this club, said about his own fear of sitting down with the New York Times and having the conversation. Yeah. And yeah. I, actually, I brought it with me because I. I thought it might come up in a different context, but because um, but I mean, we all we all kind of if you ran into gnome in the yeah. corridors of the comedy Actually, cell, I was I was, like, I was very very grateful to hear that he's not here. Tonight. This is what a podcast looks like. Wait, is he in mad physical at you? Form. I mean, we just had a couple of we, Andy. Uh, he's not that mad. Okay. He's not, he's not Andy Mills. He's not mad, ladies and gentlemen. Do you guys all know... Do no, you, he said he's not that you, mad. Do you guys all know... The, That's a distinction with a difference. Do you guys here. all know the, journal, the journalistic trick, and this is this is tried and true, I've been at this for, for almost 15 years, is when someone calls you the morning after a story runs, yeah. and... Like the right away, like before 10 a.m. That's not good. Never good. No. They're not calling you to say how much they love the story. That's very fair. That's an email. That's an email job. When that happens, uh, this is, I get uh, how far I should go with this. But the most important thing to do is to do nothing, is to let several hours pass because people go through stages of anger and grief. Yeah. And they calm down. Michael, what did you do? <laughs> And Andy, you may remember this. I think I said, uh, "What if we just give him the day? What if we just get?" And by the end of the day, I think he came around to the point. Anyway, this is what he said about this is what he said about his fear of talking to the Daily, to the New York Times, to a show that will reach more than you know. This sounds bragging, but it's not like to suddenly yeah. talk to a million people. Yeah, about, we get it. You fucking about about popular. Read the fucking email. <laughs> he said, "This is what he said. He said, um, he said, can I say something?" Having this conversation with you is is challenging, not because of the questions you're asking, not because they're challenging. I don't mind the questions. I like the questions. I lament that I can't speak totally openly. I can't, like, kick around ideas with you and say something really freely because to say something that might... Because, this is what we said, just to say something that might even come from not having the same life experience as you, meaning me, but really all our listeners, that can end me. Yes. Yeah. And what that he meant was, yeah. I, I think what he meant was, I mean, it was, a, it was a metaphor, but could I lose this club? Could I lose my job? Could I no longer be capable of, like, hosting America's greatest comedy, you know, palace here? Because in an errant moment of indiscretion and, and, and really having it out with you and being real, I say something that inspires a Twitter mob. And I think that's, like, that's kind of how we all live now, if you, if you engage in the kind of spectator sport of public affairs and it's can I just point out that yeah. if there's any pl- space in which someone can 
be honest and open and kick around ideas. It's your show. I mean, yeah, but I think his point was sort of like and I, comedy, by the way. But that, but I think every, everybody fears yeah. that now, and and um, and sometimes they should fear it, right? Because they come to the situation with really bad motives, and they're going to get called down on it. But sometimes people just they just screw up. But the problem is that motives don't matter anymore. It doesn't matter what you were intending. You can be sacrificed for just saying something that well, seemed a bit. Well, a the bit motive odd. is imputed. It doesn't matter yeah. what your motive was because we already know what your motive was. We we know your or, secret. Or we, we know your don't secret care. Motives. I don't know. I, I don't know I mean, that we do don't care. Was, I think we care. We care. Right. We just pretend that we know in every single circle. I think mean, it's amazingly effective, by the way. I don't think there's anybody in this audience, left, right, or center. I think this is something that just is not political, and, and the political polls don't matter in this at all. I mean, it's more kind of generational, if anything. But I, there's nobody in this audience who has, you know, goes to a job in, in fears for their job and fears for their sort of social standing if they're honest about things, certain things. And it's not that I'm talking, I'm talking about horror innocuous things. If you have, you know, look, Bill Burr had a, had a funny bit about Caitlyn Jenner, and he said, you know, do I not, I don't even get a minute to think about it? Like, once the, once there's a transition, and you say the wrong thing, and you're set upon, yeah. and you're torn apart, despite the fact that you mean well, and you're not, you know, a horrendous person, but it, it empowers No one's going to Bill Burr and say, you have to comment on this, he can just not say something. But, but do you want to live in that society where you just don't say anything because people will attack you and ruthlessly take it back? Look, no, 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 no. Shades are great, bad. but I mean, this guy could just not go on your show. Yeah. He could, but then you but don't have an opportunity to speak for yourself. No and the truth is that you, you can be destroyed if you stay silent while these things are happening. And this is, this is somewhat different. Um, well, but tell me an example of what you mean there, because I think... I'm curious what you mean. You can actually be destroyed for saying nothing. What would be an example? Well, of that? I think an example of that might be um, what's his name, the astrophysicist guy who just redid Neil deGrasse Tyson. Neil deGrasse Tyson, who wrote a rather long response to some allegations that are being recorded right it's now. Kind of a weird response of, of sexual harassment. Can we, can we point out that it was a fucking weird response? Maybe. How so? I just a lot of the language that he used was like he kind of was admitting things at certain points. It was weird, but go ahead. It, it didn't seem so weird to me, but yeah. I, I'm not going to cast any judgment on it. I'm, I'm only using it as an example of a circumstance in which, at least in his mind, he felt that he had to respond directly to these things that were being said about him. And, and in many instances, when you say something that is interpreted in a particular way, to stay silent and to not say anything. For example, Roseanne makes a joke about Valerie Jarrett, something related to Planet of the Apes. Does she, does she say nothing in response to all of the swirl? The issue is not whether she responded to her, her critics. The issue is that she said the thing in the well, first but this place. Is but this is just it. I mean, the defense that Roseanne offered for herself, for example, was, one, I didn't know she was black, which perhaps I, I didn't know Valerie Jarrett just self-identified as black. Really? People are making eyes at me. No, I had no idea. Is there really? no, is there no one else in the room who no. didn't know Valerie Jarrett was yeah. Okay, so some applause. Yeah. So you, you make a joke. Stuff. You make a joke because you're a comedian. It's a it's it's a crude joke. It's a mean ass. I think joke. the defense of the question Rosanna becomes is she's mentally Ill. No, this is not well maybe, me on maybe so, but in either but in either yeah, case but in either case it's a comedian making a mean joke. And if the swirl around you is that was obviously racist. You meant it in a racial racial way, and you say, No, I didn't. There's actually no defense in this in this current climate for most people. 
You can't I, survive I that unless scary, you're the yeah. president of the United Look, States. Look, I think the scariest thing I've watched was, uh, exactly, and then you're immune. Uh, I, the scariest thing I've watched recently was Norm MacDonald on The View. And I think Norm is one of the greatest fucking comics of, he's amazing. The funniest man in, I think he's the, funny, he's the funniest Canadian in America. There's a lot of funny Canadians in America. With sufficient qualification, everyone was, is the Michael Jesus Jordan Christ, of something. Jesus Christ, it was so fucking horrifying. They brought him onto The View, and he's being grilled by this fucking panel of halfwits of, you know, Joy Behar. Who the fuck is Joy Behar? She's like, she's a comic, I guess, not funny. And then, I don't know, who's the other, who's the other one? Who's the other fucking one? Well, it's Whoopi. Whoopi. By the way, who defended Ted Danson for doing blackface? In, in, in well, they were dating at the time. They were dating. Yeah, yeah, I know, but still. I mean, like, it's fine. We're dating. He's super racist, but it's fine. If you recall, if you recall yeah, Ted Danson, there I mean, we are. I Whoopi think Al Jolson's girlfriend did the same thing, but it's fine. There, there we are. Mo motives, motives again. They were Motives again. Motives again. Yeah. Yeah. But, but so Norm MacDonald said something that is pr was pretty sort of benign when I read it in The Hollywood Reporter who was interviewed. And he said, you know, I'm happy that the pendulum of Me Too is swinging back the other way at this point. And what he meant, was pretty clear, was that there's been some excesses that, you know, Aziz Ansari was a great example of that, was a guy that was, you know, came out and did a, did a set recently. And The New Yorker wrote about it and said, Aziz Ansari is back. I said, well, he had nothing to go away for. He didn't do anything wrong, right? And so that's what he was talking about, right? So it's swinging back in the other way, and everyone piled on him, and he said, it's a new show on Netflix. They said, you know, Norm, I mean, he said this stuff. I don't know if we can do it. The Tonight Show canceled his appearance. Jimmy, Jimmy, the, what is, who is it, Jimmy Fallon? Is that the guy? I don't know. Um, canceled the appearance. Hey, is that you or me? This gets better if I do get that. Um, <laughs> More alcohol. He gets canceled, and then he's terrified of the Netflix show getting canceled, which is launching in the next week. And he goes on to the view, and I, I recommend everybody watch it because it is like you know the guy from the Sodder City Army poking a Kalashnikov in his back, and he's blank faced. He's like, "Yes, I shouldn't have said that." And they're all like, that, like and, and, uh, the woman who used to be on Fox. Song. You don't have a lot of respect for this show. No, I don't. <laughs> no. But you really no. watched it. Yeah, I did. Oh, I did. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, it's so the fucking best. It never misses an episode. Some great guests sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Me yeah. Megan McCain's on, and she's she's lovely, and she's a nice person. Um, but uh, but so he's he's sitting there apologizing, and you know he doesn't believe it. You can see it in his face. And he's just saying, let me have my fucking show. I misspoke. And he said, so they said, he didn't speak. But next, so he gets through this kind of confession. And the next bit, he said, well, you were on Howard Stern yesterday. And he said, anyone, anyone who thinks that I have this kind of animus towards Me Too and feminism probably has Down syndrome, right? <laughs> now, obviously not you are going a fucking to smart thing to say. Everyone in right? the room who laughed. Yeah, you guys think your shit is funny? That shit is un funny? Unacceptable. Sad. I'm gonna find out where you work and start a campaign sad. to get you fired. Can you, like, so he's, and then he, like, steps in it again, and he's like, he shuffles off at the end of it. Yeah. And you're like, man, it's fucking normal. So, so here's, so here's the question, though. Here's the question that Fuck I would everybody. ask. To, to what, to what, to what degree is this new? And I've asked this question in other contexts as well. for white men. I mean, well, well, no. I, oh, come on. I don't know if that's true either, but I'm, but, more. but let me, let me go a bit further when I say to what degree is this new? 
to what degree is this new in the sense that in every epoch there have been things that you sure. cannot say sure. in public to the extent you say yeah. them and enough people hear about it you will get in trouble you will be an outcast you will receive a scarlet letter at some point it might have been literally receiving a scarlet letter being driven out of town for example and maybe you could move to the next town and you'd be safe but today there are different things that you cannot say I don't know if there are more things that you cannot say it's not as though we are just now reaching a point where if you use a word that sounds like nigger like niggardly you knew it was going to happen yeah exactly you knew yeah. it was going to happen hey Camille said it I, I was like what the fuck is that why are you saying that but if you if you use the word niggardly you can potentially lose your job and get it back several days later that happened more than a decade ago yeah so yeah I don't know how new this is. It's certainly a different manifestation of it, but so, I, I wonder what your thoughts are. Can I just can I just say that this is a little wishy-washy, but you know, it, there is this is what a, I expect a, from a, you, a, Yes, exactly. There is a, a way to look at this and and look at it as this is the system working. We live in a society. We work parameters out. Sometimes it's messy, and we kind of inch sometimes we lurch forward i mean it's like the scientific process you know people look at all these studies that get reversed and say science is broken and other people no, look at it, it and say that's how it works yeah. you find out what's not true you learn lessons you move forward so you know there is a version of looking at this i you know this pendulum metaphor of of, of the mcdonald's i mean it's just kind of like how fast do you expect this fucking pendulum to swing? I mean, it's only been, Me Too is a year old. Like that, let that pendulum swing a little slower. It's a year old, but we're in a in a place now that sure. it, it, it's, you know, with Twitter and with the internet, it, it moves very, very fast. Yes. And I mean, like, I think that, like, and let's talk about Louis, for instance. I mean, Louis done, uh, he came back and did sets here, and he's funny. I, I, I got lucky with somebody in the audience here. I saw, um, uh, <laughs> his, no, no, hold on. <laughs> Started, right ladies there. and gentlemen, right before we started, it was very I, love, I love by the way, I take a pause to get some fucking anyone. oxygen. Not even me, I was watching. And now I'm a pervert. Like, <laughs> just, it was like, trying to yeah, fucking I'll... breathe. Come on, relax. <laughs> I saw the fucking movie with somebody that was taken out of circulation. Oh, the now, Louis movie, yeah. It was a, I Love You, Daddy. Yeah. Which is a great movie, and weirdly, probably inappropriately, an homage to Woody Allen. It's, so it you feels were like Manhattan. Yeah. yeah. You were in black and white, yeah. George Gershwin. I was like, man, you don't, you did not fucking see this coming. And, and to me, it was crazy. Yeah. But it is a great movie. I really enjoyed it. And it disappeared and it because, disappeared. because he got in trouble. This is the Commissar Vanishes. This is the photograph of Malenkov being sort of airbrushed out because they've run afoul. I don't like that. I don't like the fact that let us, the question is, I mean, the question you had in the Daily uh, podcast, which again, I think was fantastic, was when should Louis come back? I mean, the answer is rather simple. When people want to buy tickets for him to come back. This is your answer. You know, I, but you're, it's, it's more complicated because he was, he was showing up and doing sets here and people weren't aware of that and a few people left, right? Yeah. I mean, I guess I, I want to respond differently to you, to you than your question, which is I, what's occurring to me is that you're talking about people who are, decide to make a living mm. based off of public approval. And if we're being honest, and I think I'm in this, you're in this, you're in this, you know, we exist for an, to tell stories to an audience that gets to judge us, right? And there, how many people in the American population or even the global population really subsist off of that kind of privilege? It's very small. And because of social media, there's a much more rapid kind of public square scolding and judgment system that exists, and we are subject to it, but we have, a, we have put ourselves out there. 
is, I guess, the point. And so we are at the whim now of a system where people do this on Twitter – and you in the gladiatorial kind of end of that's careers. a thumbs down. That's a thumbs down. Yeah, that works great. Thanks, Ari. Sorry, that's a thumbs down. A thumbs up. And like the the point is, that world changed. We got in it, and the risks are higher. But we've chosen these public personas and lives. I think that's right. But the one disagreement I would have. I don't, be, I don't think the yeah. world is all that sympathetic. Sure, but it, it, not really. I mean, <laughs> Donald Trump's the president. I mean, the same. They're not. It's, it's people are not very sympathetic to this. But people are terrified of it in the sense that if it was just us people in the media or in sort of public life in some way, I would say, okay, you know, no Pazaran. It's it's, it's done. But you see it in high schools in Oklahoma. You see it in academia and small colleges here, there, and everywhere. You see it in companies, businesses. And because the fact that we amplify this stuff so much, people are terrified that let's not have that happen in my company. And that's how it spreads. And I think that you're right, sort of largely, that it comes, and that's the thing that's happening now. But it's, it's, getting, it's getting sort of you know, all over the place. So can I, can I ask you for an example of the system working? where someone says something dumb and they get punished for it. Uh, not even a specific example, but like that, we, there needs to be a space for that. In of our course, culture. I mean, but there is, there has been for some time. I mean, I think that, you know, if you're going off at the right Al Campanis up, comes to mind. Al Campanis comes to mind. So 1987, yeah. the former, the general yeah. manager of the Los Angeles Dodgers goes on Nightline, Nick, yes. if I'm remembering this correctly. Um, and, uh, and it was, Actually, the anniversary of Jackie Robinson. Fucking insane. Like, yeah. like being uh, at, uh, at, uh, allowed bring that, to bring play, that mic closer to your mouth. Allowed to play in the major leagues and kick everybody's ass, including Ted Williams's, um, uh, as a player. And so Ted uh, Koppel's like, oh, you know, the Dodgers have been great about uh, admitting black people and other people too uh, for a really long time. What are your thoughts about this? He's like, yeah, you know, black people, they don't have the necessities to be managers. And yeah. He didn't do the swimming thing. No, too. That no, was Jimmy no. the Greek who did that the swimming Jimmy thing. The Greek, yeah. um, but like he, he, that ended his career at that moment. Yeah. Um, I and, think that's acceptable. And that was an acceptable yeah, totally. ending of his, of his career. Camille would disagree with that. I'm not going to let him <laughs> talk about yeah. that. Yeah, actually, of course he would. For now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But that's an example like, of, fair point. of the system working. <laughs> I, I want to I I register at least some agreement. Jody, what, what you were saying. Uh, like, mark this moment. Say that again in the clear. No, no, no. It's, it, it, you want to register we, we do this with me? Yes. Register <laughs> agreement. Which is to say that on some level, and, and uh, I, I wrote about this with a the, with the terrible uh, new Bad News Bear. Bears uh, remake came out uh, about uh, five, ten years ago. Um, and one of the reasons why it was terrible is that it wasn't nearly as horrible and wonderful as the original, which I uh, consider to be a documentary film about my childhood. Uh, <laughs> Weren't all the kids smoking in it? There was smoking. That's great. I love they that. Drank beer. In the remake, they drank near beer at home plate. Are you fucking kidding me? They didn't smoke because they didn't want to get an R rating uh, uh, for this. And, uh, and most importantly, they weren't just gloriously, colorfully racist at every single turn, which Tanner was in the original, if you recall the movie, which I know Camille does uh, as much as he does Song of the South, which yeah, he loves and reveres, right. ironically. Um, <laughs> uh, but what I argue there is that, you know what, uh, 
that is a sign of America getting to be a better place. Like it was actually a snapshot of where we were in 19, in the mid 1970s, especially in Southern California. It's kind of a messed up place to be. And so it was, it was plausible that people would be talking and acting like this because they talked and act like this to some degree when, when I grew up. 20 years later, 25 years later, they don't plausibly talk and act like this because the world got a little bit better. And that's a fine thing to allow to have happen. However, where I registered disagreement with is that I think that we don't have a we have a paradoxical place, right? So on, on one hand, we have a freer ability to talk and do constantly. Who doesn't have a... How many people in this room have a podcast? Can we just get a show of hands? I mean, seriously, there's a lot... No, of, no hands have gone up. No, I... Yeah, just, Andy, Andy Mills, the producer of yeah. the Daily... And, <laughs> the producer and, of the Daily. And Caliphate The most famous count. podcast in America just raised his There's a lot of people yeah. here whose who who shoulder sockets... The rotator cuffs aren't working, but I know they have a, a, a podcast. Yeah. Uh, uh, but, Everyone can amplify their voice. This no, but true. the thing is, it's like, it's, it's that you have... In, in doing these things in talking freely and in, in saying whatever the hell we want we don't get locked up in the same way at all we also kind of leave a track record and when there's a motivated customer to say that oh you know what I think Moynihan, and I'm waiting for someone to do this, by the way. I'm not nominating anyone to do this, necessarily. <laughs> There's sounds two like, people on stage like that are waiting for this, and you're one of them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I am too. Let's comb yeah. through his entire yeah, history let's not do that. and find the, and the problematic thing. And, and so I think, I think yeah. that leads to a sense of what, Milkshake, Doug. what people feel like they can't say at any given time. So, like, it comes up when, when it comes up to get you, when the mob comes up to get you, it's a bad day. Yeah. It's a super bad day. More, most days aren't that day. You aren't that person. You aren't Norm MacDonald yet. I mean, although you have higher traffic than he does. Fuck you. Um, but that lies there, and I think that that, that gives us. I'm going to get Bar a, a panopticon so feeling of, of that, that people are watching what we say. <laughs> can I? Can I ask? Uh, well, actually, no. Can I defend my own honor here? No. I I asked. <laughs> I asked this in the form of the question have things really changed? Is this so different? Because I'm genuinely confounded by it. I don't know. I know that the nature of the things that you can say, that there is a different kind of sensitivity. I'm not sure. I think the conversation, however, about the fact that there are a lot of people who feel pretty insecure about what they can say in public and in different contexts, that there are a lot of people who feel that way. And for a society that, that builds itself as lovers of free speech, for example, um, once we start to embrace a new set of things that you can't say, and those things perhaps could be described in many contexts as hate speech, passing another drink down, um, and generally the things that you can't say these days have a lot to do with identity, um, I think it's worth always taking stock of the fact that, no, 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 in as much as you say you love free speech, let's be serious. You love it unless it's this. Sure, but and, let, let, and that let, is the case yeah. in, in virtually every yeah. single epoch. And at a minimum, we have to be reckoning with it all the time. I do worry that in many cases, it seems that we just do not care whether or not we're actually getting it right in many instances. In fact, the I've definitely bumped into the, well, whether or not he meant it that way, he should have known better. And the should have known better brigade actually makes me incredibly nervous. Knowing that you could be next, like we probably ought to be extending a little they bit of grace. Known better brigade. Should, I mean, Sal Salman Rushdie used to call them the yes, but brigade about free speech. Yeah, I believe in free speech, but and then yeah, there but is the, that. But the but brigade, it could go yeah, both ways. Yeah, that's, that's the, yeah. <laughs> it's so does anything but, reverse course? So, so, Twitter closing? 
this Twitter closing reverse the course that we've taken so far? Yeah. I, I like the fact that somebody's I, I don't, cheering for I don't, Twitter no. closing. I, I think most, most that people... That was Andy Levy! What the fuck? I think he closed 250,000 yeah, Twitter followers, Andy Levy. I'll take your followers. Yeah, yeah, he's giving a thumbs down. No, but seriously, what, what, what starts to, to reverse I'm this not, you know, bad thing? Levy. I'm not sure. I'm, I'm, I'm honestly not sure. And... It strikes me that most people aren't on Twitter. You know, all of us are. We pay a hell of a lot of attention to what's happening there. Whatever's going on is happening beyond Twitter. I, actually, the, the social media is the problem or social media is part of what's new. That dynamic of the conversation around these issues is always not quite sat well with me. We are interested in those particular stories. We amplify them and make them a thing. It, I suppose the fact that we can organize there is something, but I've, I've certainly seen circumstances where something becomes a panic and an outrage and say a university fires a professor for saying something um, poorly calibrated poorly calibrated on Tucker Carlson's show. In this case, I wasn't talking about anti-Semitic. Um, and it turns out that there wasn't actually much of an material backlash that the university saw. They were just afraid of the backlash that might come yeah. and leaped out there and fired the professor preemptively. I want to ask my question here. Like, you know, you've been in the game for a while. You said 15 years. What sort of material changes do you see as a journalist about this stuff, about the sort of fear of offending people, the fear of getting things right, the fear of the mob coming from the New York Times? I mean, you had your own example, and you don't have to talk about this, I probably can, of Glenn Thrush. And it's like, what is, is he the same as Harvey Weinstein? He's on the other end of that. But he had to take a time out, and he kind of slowly came back into the fold. But how is it different from when you started 15 plus years ago? And how is this stuff affecting kind of the internal culture of New York Times journalism? That's a great question. Um, I'm, I'm going to pass on Glenn Thrush just because yeah. I don't know the I don't know the story as well. He wears as, a fedora. It's a problem. As, as, <laughs> all you need to say. You do. Um, He's a monster. <laughs> I, mean, I, would, I, would, I would confess I've had I've had my own unfortunate kind of moments on social media where I tweeted something stupid. Oh God! Tell me! Tell me! Tell nope. me now. Come on. <laughs> Andy, I knew this was a mistake. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, yeah. I, no, I, I, I caught a couple of, I'll give you, I'll give you, I'll give you, I'll give you, I'll just give you, I'll give you, I'll give you, I'll give you whatever guard is the, I'll give you whatever guard is the, um, lesser of the two. So I, I was once on, um, I was once on Twitter watching C-SPAN. I mean, this is really stupid. It's that so is my stupid. fucking nerd sentence of all time. I was once on Twitter watching C-SPAN, and, uh, and, and I don't have a girlfriend. Do you guys know? Or a boyfriend. <laughs> Never had sex with a woman. I mean, this is just the idea of like... <laughs> or a man, I don't care. We're open-minded. If you're in the public if you're in the public eye long enough, you will be you will be skewered, right? So I was watching... Do you guys, if you know C-SPAN, occasionally they do a, like, um... There's a controversy. <laughs> I totally know C-SPAN. Oh, this gets better! Yeah! Brian Lamb is yeah. there. There's a, there's so, a, you will get to this story. Um, I believe in you. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so there's this thing. There was a particularly like acrid public moment. And uh, I apparently was not a, enough of a student of C-SPAN to understand this, but uh, you, Democrats call one number, Republicans yeah. call another, right? And by the way, anti-Semites call both numbers. <laughs> if you've ever watched C-SPAN, that's true. So, um, so what I treated was like, there's a, there's a third I, number for independence. <laughs> no, there's not. That's the that's the, the sad part. So I tweet something like, "Boy, sign of how divided we all are." 
car. There was a Democratic line and a Republican line, or something, something stupid like that. And like a thousand people tweeted at me, like, "No, you fucking moron." Um, that's, <laughs> I think I did. Probably that. Like, C-SPAN's been doing that since you were like in utero. <laughs> and anyway, Gawker writes about it on and on, and like New York Times political national political correspondent like doesn't understand anything yeah. about anything, <laughs> which is tr- probably true enough. And so. Um, I guess what you you just have to be super, so much not the worst you, either, you got. You either by either the way. To, no, there's worse. Yeah. There's much worse. worse. There's worse. Yeah. I chose the <laughs> less. Food. Boo! <laughs> <laughs> not bad enough. But what so did we're you gonna do? find just it after you, you just waited it out. Right? The point is, <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're gonna do this. I'm helping you here. <laughs> the point is, don't be on Twitter if you like. If you can't yeah, handle, no, I think it's true. Exactly. That story was still. I want to go back to Andy Levy, who's clapping here. He used to be quite a presence or, on Twitter and now I haven't seen do you still tweet Andy? No. How no, many followers uh, did you have at your peak? So yeah a couple hundred thousand followers and he just abandoned them and uh, now are, are you happier? Yes. Okay good. That's good. That's good. There's a lot of hesitation there. <laughs> no I mean we're more we're, you either have to be more careful you have to develop yeah. you have to develop an incredibly thick skin because obviously that's not the only time I was written up in Gawker I just you know yeah. this is a podcast and so you you get you get used to it and it's ugly and it feels unnecessary and yet as I said if you elect to be in the world yeah. that we are in where you live and die or you at least have to acknowledge the fact that the public opinion governs your audience then then you have to endure that that's the bargain I wish it were not so yeah. but it is you know, and the backlash thing is that, you know, you said that you were written up in Gawker a few times. I got once, one time, a long time ago, and it wasn't that bad. And somebody from Gawker actually defended me in the comments, which was, which was okay. But I was at a dinner last night, and Emily Gould was on the other side of the table. And Emily wrote a story for the New York Times Magazine a long time ago, sort of apologizing for what she'd done as... You know, the editor-in-chief of Gawker, she was notoriously torn to shreds by Jimmy Kimmel. Do you remember this? Anyone remember this? Jimmy the Kimmel Gawker. was guest hosting for Larry King, if I remember. That's right. She was guesting, and, and he had the Gawker stalker feature in which she could report the location of celebrities to Gawker, and they would post this on some sort of heat map for fucking psychopaths. And so, and she said, you know, forced to defend this, and she crumpled. It was unbelievable. And so she wrote uh, this kind of Apology recently, we're talking. I mentioned Barry Weiss, a uh, friend of the show, friend of mine, and um, Eve Pizer. Eve herself, who's kind of a lefty firebrand to Barry's sort of centrist firebrand, actually. Uh, nobody knows that, but she's sort of centrist. Um, she wrote an article apologizing for trolling people on the internet. And I see a series of these. I know a bunch of people that have done this. And is there a point where the pendulum, again, swings back and everyone says, This is fucking madness? Some people come out of it. Andy, who's, you know, you know, had lots of, just quit. I'm on the verge of doing that, too. Not because of the Halsey thing. <laughs> yeah, it is. That'd be really embarrassing. Halsey like, quit, quit because of, like, some 19-year-old pop star <laughs> from fucking Bushwick. Yeah, in four years, you and Halsey <laughs> to just have, like, a... Yeah, like, we're gonna be dating. Back together. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm through, so fucking into her. That's what you're really after here. She's a fucking babe. And then, like, <laughs> but you're, you're, you're having your special... But, by right? the way, girls did not invent nice. England. And then, <laughs> you can't... During, during this, like, come together moment, you cannot help yourself, and you're like, there should have been a semicolon. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, like, you fucking think the same thing. Stand your ground. No, I just want to, like, I see a lot of people, like, kind of checking out of this now. 
Yeah. More and more and more. I don't think it's in a So you think, you think we've turned the corner? You think no, the, the, I just think that the union like, will be safe. It's gotten so nasty and so insane. I don't think it's like, I think it's pre-Donald Trump. Yeah. And I think that in so many people, and the, Trump brings a special nastiness in a different way. But the, the, like the sort of end of Gawker, the number of people that I knew that fucking hate Peter Thiel, in, like in New York media, they were kind of secretly happy about that. It was a lot. It was a lot of people because hmm. they've been attacked by Gawker. They're like, "Fuck these guys." Although the sequence, they get their comeuppance finally. I don't like the way it happened, but I'm happy it did. The, the sequence me, of events, though, is Peter Thiel's ending Gawker happened before he endorsed Donald Trump. So I suspect, yeah, yeah, yeah probably no, I, I, they're unrelated. Yeah, but, but I don't like that what he did. I think it's horrible. Yeah. Well, can I ask you a question, Matt? Um, I'm just still hung up on this question of what happens when Trump is gone and we don't have this big kind of yes. son of like yes. bullshit that yeah. is, you know, pure, uh, pure concentrated. Yeah, we, yeah exactly. And yeah. all of us are sort of just like pouring all of our ideas and thoughts and daily kind of whatever towards. Do you think that we recalibrate the CNN become a like more thoughtful place because it had to reckon with the Trump years where it had to find some sort of conscience or doesn't somehow swim all the way back? I don't know at all. I, I think that there's been uh, the internet pre-Trump, pre uh, even Barack Obama was was engaged. I think in uh, questioning the U.S. model of journalism, which was local dominant daily um, has 23 percent profit margins forever, um, has an admirably kind of uh, above it all a view of things, is fat as hell, uh, and uh, and doesn't the people who work there don't believe that they are engaged in any kind of political or partisan tussle? Um, this was true for forty years. It was like the uh, the uh, the Austro-Hungarian Empire. It, it seemed like it was going to last forever, but it really lasts for forty or fifty years. And then and then with with time, we look back and say, "What the fuck was that thing? How how did that last for so long?" Um, and so after that, there was already a lot of discussion of, "Hey, the U.S. media is going to become more like British media." We're going to know who, where they stand. Jay Rosen, the press critic uh, from uh, New York University, has been talking about this for a very long time. A little surprise, Jay Rosen. Seriously, so many clear in New York. Jay Rosen. You're totally it's Jay, it's Jay Rosen. It's got to be Rosen. a student. You know, these are your Andy. listeners, right? Fuck Andy, because we haven't talked after this. Rosen, I don't know. No, there was this sort of talk, like, let's just sort of wear, our, uh, you know, let's, let's get rid of the myth of objectivity, go more towards fairness, yes. and say that that we and, and acknowledge that the New York Times is going to have a different uh, profile than in a uniquely uh, uh, competitive market, unlike almost every other uh, 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 city in the country, even 15 years ago, much more so now, there's actually competing newspapers. You had tabloids who were going to cover crime. You had the Wall Street Journal. You had whatever. Um, uh, people who were covering different ideological things. So, um, one hand's there, like, get at the point over here. <laughs> So um, you love the New York Sun and lament its demise I, every day. But the old people that get that check, the old, the old New York Sun. But uh, so like that process was already happening, and people were already getting into the. So let's like wear our bias on our sleeve, or or like our, our stated interest on our sleeve. Part of that's good. Part of that's transparency. But I think that what's happened right now is that people have gone a little bit to Acosta and yeah. have, have started have become meta interested in their own role in this fight and not understanding or not uh, valuing uh, nearly enough the 
Miami Herald, Jeffrey Epstein type yes. of reporting too, or Maggie Haberman, who's done a lot of great work. A lot, there's, there's great journalism every single day. And again, we, we, we mistake that for the hot take industry. Um, and I think part of the health of stepping back from Twitter just as an individual human being is to stop mistaking the hot take industry for being what actually And I want to ask Michael this because I don't misunderstand the British press in that way. It's not like the Washington Times, right? The Mooney paper in which you see very right-wing takes, right? The Telegraph, the Torygraph is conservative, right? The Guardian is left-wing, the Independent is left-wing, the Times is center-left. You know what you're getting when you buy those papers, but it's mostly in story selection. It's not, they're not really sort of thundering against something in their reporting. I mean, look, the, the, the Guardian is some of the best fucking reporters on the planet for a number of things. And it's not about their editorial page. It's about what they choose to emphasize. And I like that model a lot, a lot more, primarily because it, it exists in the U.S. But Thank you for that, Jody. Could you stop producing me? <laughs> it's in my zone. But like, if you're, it, it is... It, it happens in the U.S., but we don't acknowledge it. We lie about it. You know, Fox, and we're fair and balanced. No, you're not. Don't stop lying. You're a right-wing network. That's okay. But do, in the but same do way we lie that, about it? Yeah. I mean, do, but doesn't the, everyone know? The premise knows, of saying right? I'm fair and balanced is lying. <laughs> is that we we are the exact same. We yeah, they don't say that anymore. Say anymore. anymore. I've dropped that. No, not drop anymore. That. They, I think they the new one is like formally. Seth Rich. <laughs> some conspiracy. Seth Rich was a smuggling document. I'm not sure it's that. Yeah, it might be. Jerome Corsi's new show. <laughs> um, but yeah, I like that model. And I want to ask this about Michael. But it, you know, people talk about your paper, which I think the greatest sort of response to this was actually weirdly from Tucker Carlson. Um, oh, really? It's haters. It's a fucking great newspaper. Uh, uh, Tucker Carlson at CPAC said in 2013, 2012, he was starting the Daily Caller and, he's, and everyone was booing the New York Times. And he said, you know what? Fuck you guys. It's, a, it's actually a really good speech. It didn't actually happen, but he said, we need to create our own New York Times. Keep it at your mouth. We, we don't have to, you know, denounce the New York Times. We should do what they do, but in our direction. That would go well. That never happened. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, no. I was in the bathroom, and I said, God, I look like Mike Sertovich tonight. By the way, I was coming over. But yeah, it was... <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> But, uh, like, uh, you know, would the, I think the Times should just accept... I'm scared of this question. What no, is the, the question? the Times should accept the fact that it leans at least slightly to the left. Who fucking cares? Right? I think you defend it, and you say, no, we're not. No, I mean, I... I, I, I you... I think the best description of the New York Times is that we are a cosmopolitan newspaper, right? Oh, I mean, euphemism. No, it's not, though. <laughs> it's not. No, it's not. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I, I don't think that's as funny as you do. Hey. It's right. them. I'm not laughing. They're laughing. It's okay. Go. I love you, Michael. What's that, Andy? Thank you. <laughs> I mean, we hired Andy Mills. <laughs> yeah, I know. We really Problematic. <laughs> How many um, tote bags does Andy Mills bring to, to the office every day? Um, so, I, 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 uh, once again, cosmopolitan newspaper. Sure, that seems that seems fair to me. I, I think I don't think fair, there's actually. I don't think there's actually we, we, any mystery about the political bent 
of various publications in the United States. Yeah. To the extent it's a national publication, we all know where they stand. Sure. I don't know that it would actually be particularly valuable for folks to be declaring their political allegiances in public, because I think we already know them. But, but I think you shut up Brent Bozell. But, and people but don't like, you think the people who are, who are taking shots at the New York Times yeah. or any other publication are sure. doing so in generally in bad faith that even if the New York Times were I'm to not, kind of show its hand sure, and I say we I are this, I'm they would right. still find another reason. I don't think some, some of no them are, but I, I take shots at all all mainstream no, media Camille, but what Jody's saying is obviously different. I, I understand, it's a left but, I'm, but I'm making a slightly different point. But I'm saying, yeah. the, I think <laughs> what might actually fix this, to the extent we're address, addressing that question, right, might be for journalists in general and the media generally to be a bit more sort of curious about yeah. the various things mm -hmm. they're covering. I can't remember the last time I read a straight news piece that ended with some sort of inquiry, with, that yeah. ended with questions yeah. about things that they don't know, that ended with, here are the things that we might see later, and once we see these things, that might color our well, picture. Now, now you're talking or at about, least acknowledge their own... Now you're talking own, about the... Yeah, go for it. The difference between kind of regular word stories, which have had a kind of familiar form for a long time, and podcasts, which are by definition kind of curious and searching and uncertain. And I think one of the most beautiful developments of the last three or four years is that big newspapers, all of them now, the Washington Post, the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, we've asked our journalists to come on shows like The Daily, like Post Reports, which is a brand new show today, explained to Vox. You all listen to them. And to be honest about their uncertainties, their ambiguities, their doubts, their, their, their curiosities. And the, the big problem in journalism for the longest time was that we would we kind of hand you a newspaper at the next morning and say, like, trust us. Here's the truth. And here it is, down from the kind of the mountaintop. Here are the, here are the tablets. And for, for a long time, you all accepted it. And then lots of things happened along the way, and you kind of like saw cracks in those tablets, and you said, I don't know if I believe this anymore. I'm curious about where your sources are from and why you wrote it this way and why you ended on that quote and why you used that phrase. And I think a 2016 election added to that sense of kind of like the readers saying, what are you up to here? Do you really understand this stuff? I think audio is part of the solution of explaining to people how we think, how we work, what we don't understand. And it's kind of a... It's a really, really nice development. And I'll, I'll just add, you know, from the 538 perspective, it's a site that I think a lot of people think of as a site that's about kind of landing at a very concrete kind of stance. And often there's a number at the end of the, the and you know, and I, I think the podcast has been really healthy for us because it shows that really we, it's about kind of organized thinking and talking things through. And, you know, I, I think 538, for instance, is as much a site about uncertainty as it is about certainty. And I think just the different mediums that are emerging are allowing us to kind of live in that space, which I think is much healthier. Do you think that Not we referring can, to Twitter yeah, yeah. in that sense. But can we bring that the into the sense. rest of the journalism yeah. ecosystem? Sure. Maybe, perhaps not cable news. I think it's perhaps a lost cause. No, I mean, I see a feedback effect. I mean, look, I'm operating on a much smaller scale than the New York Times, but I see a feedback effect for our site where our podcast has kind of given us voice, so to speak, in every sense of the word. I don't know. Have you seen that at the Times, that your reporters are now, but there's a sort of different spirit because they can come on your show and talk things out and people can have a different interaction with them and then maybe they bring a different sort of understanding when they go then read someone's byline the next day. They kind of have encountered that person's voice, so yeah. to speak. Yes, absolutely. I also think that people forget that, you know, Newspapers have reputations, and then they constantly destroy those reputations. I'll give you an example. Mm. Who did some of the most enterprising journalism about the president's relationship to Stormy Daniels, to paying off... The National Enquirer. 
No. The Wall Street Journal. <laughs> the, the, the Wall Street Journal has one of the most conservative editorial pages in the country. But look at the run of coverage they did about who paid off who yeah. with the National Enquirer, and you, and now suddenly your assumptions are exploded. You might think that you might think, and you'd be wrong, that the New York Times and Silicon Valley have some sort of like symbiotic relationship, where we get the kind of coastal people and the way that they think. And who did the most enterprising work on Facebook and the way that Sheryl Sandberg responded to some of the political crises at her company, the New York Times? Yeah. So, I mean, the reality is there are very few news organizations willing to invest tens, in our cases, hundreds of millions of dollars in investigative, hard-hitting enterprise journalism. The rest of it, as you can sort of see, is a lot of people kind of jerking around. Um, current members of the audience. <laughs> yeah, no, so, not, I don't want to exclude Depends myself. on the day. So, yeah. the, you know, it's really hard and expensive to do enterprising investigative journalism, and it's really easy to talk about that journalism and pick it apart afterwards and assign motivations to it. But the hard, courageous thing is to pick a target and spend a year looking at it and then finding out that the Donald Trump tax returns don't really represent their assets all around Queens, which is an investigation that took the New York Times almost two years. And so I just think that, you know, whether you're a cosmopolitan newspaper by reputation, a liberal newspaper by reputation, a conservative newspaper by reputation, the reality is, are you committing the resources to do the investigative journalism and the hard-hitting storytelling? They're going to change fundamentally how people view something. And how many organizations in the country do that? But, yeah. the, picking Three, apart, four? but the picking it apart keeps them honest. I mean, this is yeah. a valuable uh, role as well. Yeah, but you can't. I mean, the thing that annoys me is when conservatives and people on the right say the New York Times is a corrupt organization, it's a bad newspaper, et cetera. Not true. The only thing that is a lot of it, uh, but it's, it's, it's the best newspaper in the country for a lot of reasons. Thank but you. It's true. It's absolutely true. Can, can, can I? We have, we have, I think. We got five minutes. Five minutes. Should we do some idiot wrote this yes. live now? Yes, we should. I, not that. Michael, I don't have anything, but you can just. You don't have anything? I don't. Did you no. go on the fucking internet I've been today? Really, I've been really happy. Are you kidding me? I've been really happy lately. Things are going great. Yesterday was my daughter's one-year-old birthday. Oh, show. Yeah. Oh. Show me Show me the screen Oh, oh my. Look at this. Show the fucking look at that. She looks like Tracy. Okay, note, note, note to audio listeners. Beautiful baby with bow and hair, <laughs> white shirt, yeah. triangle, uh, leaning, in, the voice, leaning the in front of window. <laughs> Sunlight is around 3 p.m. We've been Barbaro, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Uh, we've got a couple more minutes. Um, quickly, before we just completely run out the clock, Fisher, yeah. where are we going after this? Because some of us are going to rendezvous. Okay, uh, as a continuation of this show, which is uh, an invitation <laughs> only to those of the show, uh, we're going well, around the corner. They can't hear, Fisher. No, what else? <laughs> the people can hear me now. <laughs> Fat Black Pussycat, right around the corner. What? Everybody's welcome. That's Come hang out. Yeah, Twitter. Yeah. Twitter's not going to work. It's actually like that. Yeah, it's, all. it's, 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 it's a real. This is a real place. You're bad from Tumblr. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, so we've got we've got four minutes left. Yeah. Run out the clock. Matt, do you have something? No, I don't. I think I actually. No, I'm here. I'll say this: that I I I've stopped caring. Honestly, do you notice that people about who listen to this it? show about, about life? I mean, in a way, I mean, sort of existential crisis, Michael. I'm sorry. This but guy's going to be great at the bar after yeah. the show. 
Yeah. Um, because we have not done some idiot wrote this very much recently. Not religiously, no. No. And the reason is because it's so, the volume is too great. <laughs> and we can't, like, it used to be like, wow, that was fucking stupid. And we'd all talk about it for, like, now our, we have a text chain that's Camille, myself, and Anthony Fishner, which is blowing up and, your and phone. Welch is yeah, and Welch is also you gestured at Matt. I don't know who that guy is. That was it's Jim right. Garrison. Dude, you have one <laughs> small stroke and suddenly like your uh, persona not great. <laughs> Jim Garrison joke. Fucking <laughs> shit. Early 60s. That's fine. Somebody. Thank God. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I don't have anything, Camille. That's what I'm trying to say. It's good. I, I'm drunk. I have to go. Yeah, the world is a better place. <laughs> he, he seriously, like two minutes ago, was like, we have to have enough time for somebody who wrote this. <laughs> yeah. Like over in the corner, like fomenting rebellion. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Gentlemen, Michael, Jody, did you have any closing thoughts, any sentiments that you touched on that you perhaps wanted to expand on? Or something horrible? Yeah, I mean, why the fuck did I tell? Here's what I want to say. I make a 20 to 25 minute podcast with my colleagues, and I don't know why we're still sitting here. <laughs> yeah, trust me. I think that every week, about two minutes. Can I, can I, I'll tell you. I'll tell you why. Damn it. That's uh, the because the people demand day. it. Yeah, and the people shall have what they want. Um, they come from fucking Sweden. Yokobori. <laughs> Damn right. Hey, yeah. Jody, hey, yeah, Sverre, yeah. Uh, no, this was really great. It's your first live show, right? This is our first, first live show. Congratulations. Live shows are the best. Congratulations. Maybe the last one. Thank you. We'll, we'll see. Should we, should we do another one? Is, was this the fucking Lusitania? I don't should know. Should we do another one? <laughs> we'll figure it out afterwards. Uh, uh, let's start, let's start let's the neglected uh, bank. Cleveland next. Uh, very, very much. Uh, I want to really appreciate Michael Barbaro and Jody Abergan for joining us. Yeah. That was a demonstration of Anthony's utter lack of faith that Camille would be sober enough to remember to I do mean, that. Obvious, obviously racist, and you knew that was coming too. Um, You're all fucking I'm the racist. Only one. Honestly, gentlemen, this has been uh, enormous fun. Jody and Michael, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, Fisher, Welch, Moynihan, I love and admire you, and I respect you and appreciate you. And we don't get mushy like that often enough. Uh, thank you all for coming. We had a great time. That's it. Turn on the house lights. That's it. Out of here. We know of new methods of attack. The Trojan